Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome. Today, we're talking about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and this is how we continue to practice post-pregnancy. So this is for all the mothers out there who have children, maybe young children, maybe growing children, and struggle or come up against so many obstacles to getting on your yoga mat, especially these days as we're at home with uh, working from home, maybe even homeschooling. It seems like there's so much we have to focus on as parents and practice sometimes can take a back seat. And and also, what does the practice look like? How does it change after we give birth to these little miracle lives? So joining me today is my dear friend, Bibi Lorenzetti, who is also a new mother. Her son is nine months old And she's also an extremely gifted yoga teacher, teaching Ashtanga yoga. And she's also teaching some prenatal classes now, as well as doing some mama circle coaching. And we're going to talk a little bit about the real challenges that come up. I was reading something I wrote for a book that was published called Yoga Sadhana for Mothers, And I remember writing that being a mother itself was a spiritual practice and raising children to feel confident, comfortable, and secure within their world is a huge undertaking every moment of the day. And there's no rest days. Our ability as mothers, as parents, to be present and aware in both our spoken and unspoken communication is so important in helping children to develop strong, positive Uh, relationships, to trust the world, uh, and to develop good self-esteem and to be courageous. So we don't know what kind of child we're going to get sometimes, especially the little Ashtangi children are very spirited with strong wills often. But the challenges are the same. The challenges of not getting enough sleep, the challenges of not feeling like you have any time or space for yourself, the challenges of not being able to physically practice like you may have been used to. And so in this episode, Bibi and I are going to explore, of course, with Russell's help, uh, some solutions to these obstacles, maybe uh, hopefully give you some ideas of ways to create a little bit more space in your life and also just how to let go and come face to face with Uh, yourself and your situation and not try to make it different than it is. Coming into full acceptance of the present moment is really part of how we start to move forward. There is no back, there's only going forward. And so really embracing yourself and your circumstances, wherever you find yourself, even your feelings of maybe it's resistance to practicing itself, coming to just befriend these feelings of resistance and befriend the changes that are going on inside yourself and learning to integrate um, all these new aspects of yourself and also to grieve for the self that's no longer with you. Um, There's so many profound changes that happen when you first become a mother and this is such a lovely episode that dives deeply 
to look at some of these changes and I just know you're going to love it. If you are pregnant right now, I want to tell you about a workshop that I am hosting online Saturday, February 27th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. So that is 7 a.m. Pacific Time or at 3 p.m. if you're in the UK. It'll be about two and a half hours and it's Back by popular demand, I'm going to look at what postures you should continue to practice when you're pregnant, uh, what postures you could avoid, different myths and ideas about the dangers of practicing while pregnant. It's a very in-depth look and you'll even get a free PDF copy of my pregnancy practice postures sequence. Um, and if you are recently a new mother or you're looking for a little inspiration on how to continue and maintain your practice after giving birth, you can join me the following weekend, Saturday, March 6th. I will be teaching a post-pregnancy Ashtanga Yoga for Mom and Babies workshop, and this will be with Keen on Yoga. You can find all the details on my website. There's a button right on my homepage, harmonyslater.com, that will take you to the prenatal Ashtanga Yoga registration page, and you can find the postnatal Ashtanga Yoga practice link right on that page at the bottom. So I hope that some of you will join me for these two upcoming workshops. They're going to be full of great information and we can talk more about the obstacles and some ideas for how to reclaim your practice and also how to change your perspective on what practice is that will include some coaching and a lot of time for you to ask questions and for us to uh, just work through these common issues and obstacles. We'll also explore some of the asanas that are very helpful both while you're pregnant and in the following workshop the next week after you're pregnant to help resolve some of the issues that can come up post-pregnancy. We'll also explore some breathing practices that you can start to integrate into your morning routine or ritual and possibly some meditation and mantras as well. So this is a wonderful opportunity for you to practice with me directly focused on ways to expand your practice, especially during this very profound and important and vital stage of your life. So that's what's coming up for me, but I don't want to make you wait any longer because this interview and discussion that we're having with BB is so wonderful and so in-depth and you're just gonna love it. So here we go. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with Russell Case. Good morning. And Beatrice, BB. Whoa! <laughs> I know, right? I was like, ooh, <laughs> full name. Yes, hi BB, how are you? Hello, I'm well, happy new year. Happy New Year to you too. It's been a it's been a little while since the last time we spoke to you. It's really nice to have you back on the program again. Yes, and, uh, sure. share share with us some of the some of the recent uh, thoughts that you've been having around uh, um, 
gosh, the transformation from being uh, one uh, a, a single woman to being a woman with a child. Mm. Not that you're a single mother, but that uh, <laughs> you've from you were one thing and now you're two. Yeah, I actually love that. I'm no longer singular. I am a <laughs> we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it feels very true, actually. Right? <laughs> Always now. I, I think you had a, um, a quote that you wanted to read to us, and I thought that would be a really exciting way to start. Yes. Um, actually, I just want to say this is the first time I think anyone in the yoga world has called me Beatrice. So that was quite exciting. <laughs> Talk about rebirth. <laughs> I am now Beatrice. Yeah, I was I just like, I don't know, it just came to me. The name came up on um, Zencaster. Well, it's is, on your email also. Is right. that not your name, BB? That is, that is absolutely my name. I never use it, but that is my name. So this is actually really great that it like yeah. really fits the topic. I love this. So Beatrice, how is it oh, God. to have the name, the nickname? Uh-huh. How did that come about? I think that's just the way that I was born on the same day as Brigitte Bardot, and my mom oh. happens to love Brigitte Bardot, and so they just started calling me Bibi. And you know, it's a lot easier to say to an American, "My name is Bibi," than to say, "My name is Beatrice," and then having to deal with I'm the sorry, aftermath of that. Your name is <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Beatrice. Bye. Beatrice. 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 Yes. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Beatrice. Wow. But That's... yeah, challenging for yeah. the American accents. <laughs> exactly. Beatrice. Okay. Well, well, let's get on to the quote then. Okay. So this is from, um, well, it's actually the writer is Susan Mao Shart, and it's part of this uh, wonderful book called A Good Birth by Anne. Liarly, and it goes like this. Perhaps my greatest stroke of luck was penetrating quickly to the central paradox of childbirth, that the only way to gain control is to lose it, and that the courage to name the pain must precede the courage to bear it. You know, I I was thinking um, about that quote earlier, um, that the reason my mother really struggled with childbirth was that issue exactly, that she could neither face the pain nor name it, and she had so few skills in which to, to manage the situation that she was left with no other recourse but, you know, a medical intervention. Uh, she, she, had, she had said to me that she was there on the in the hospital and I'm sure it was medicalized and there was, you know, I'm sure it was busy and noisy and doctors and nurses were, you know, in and out of the room and there wasn't, wasn't being held as a, as a sacred space in the way that um, they would on the farm, you know, the natural Mm -hmm. way to, to childbirth. If you know those people Mm -hmm. that, um, it was all very confusing and loud. And then she said, I just looked down and I said, there's no way that this can happen. This cannot happen. (laughs) Even though it's happened tens upon billions of times Mm. for human beings to have, to give birth, but she just couldn't face it. And she had no 
skills, no self-awareness skills, no mindfulness skills, no breathing techniques in which to draw from. So she was left hopeless in a mental space. And then they said, we're going to have to C-section because this isn't working. And then we were, you know, my brother was born first that way. And then I was born C-section right after. Mm. Yeah. You know, as you, as you oh, go ahead, if you wanted to finish, I'm, I I'm, I'm hoping that to, to hear that that might've made some impression on you. Yeah, it actually, I, you know, I recently got certified as a dual hour in the process of, and they speak a lot about this. There's like this threshold where, um, you know, you're transitioning from the first stage of labor, you've gone through, you know, early and late labor, or act, active labor, and then you transition into the second stage, which is the actual birthing. And at that moment is when most women, no matter what their experience has been up to that point, um, they, they just skip, they, that's when you lose complete control. And, and most women will react to that saying, I can't do this anymore. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, that's, I don't know if that is, I think it's both partly because of the physical pain that is, you know, you've been bearing it for however many hours or days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also this, I can't do it of like, I, I don't know if I can face the fear of letting go completely and allowing for my body to just do what it needs to do right now. Um, and I think, you know, I think the the topic of control is really heightened right there because, you know, as as a as a birth as a birther, not a doula. I, I remember my birth, and I think, and maybe Harmony, you can recall your own experience. But I, I remember that moment, and mm-hmm. and I re- and for me, that moment was met with an epidural, which was the third time I had asked for it and finally received it, um, <laughs> but only because my you know, my, that moment didn't align with a dilation that corresponds to being ready to push. Um, but I remember this kind of like, you've been bearing, you've kind of gone through all the checklists that you read and all the books that you chose to read. And you're like, okay, there's nothing left on the checklist. <laughs> like, there's nothing more I can control or foresee. Like, and the birth has not happened. And that's the last thing. And I don't know at this point if it's going to happen. (laughs) So I think it's like you stand at this, you know, at the edge of this cliff. And if you're not ready, it's not in your spirit to fully let go into your deep, innate, natural state. um, It's hard. And Mm -hmm. I think for myself, that was the biggest lesson that I took away from birth. And I think part of why I'm really interested in this doula work that, you know, that going into birth, being really realistic with who you are, and if you're not really realistic with who you are, you will meet yourself there. (laughs) And you'll come out being a lot, I'm not saying completely aware of yourself, but you will have a much clearer idea of what your relationship to control is. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I think that that ability to let go of your need to control the situation really plays into your birthing experience and also into how easily you're able to kind of transition into um, motherhood in a way. Yeah. Because so much is out of 
your control afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I personally remember that moment of transitioning into the pushing phase. And for me, it felt like such a relief. I was just like, it was like the home stretch. And I just felt totally like, at that point, just like, oh, thank God, something else is going to do the work now. <laughs> it was sort of like a feeling of just like complete surrender. And wonder, um, see, that's that's why you are who you are. You have that next level of <laughs> surrender. Yeah. <in> you. <laughs> I'm always ready for death. <laughs> that's that's uh, great. True, that's something we have to kind of navigate <laughs> through dinner. Yeah, that's that's up there. That's like the next yeah. level. Yeah, we're just trying to, you know, get the the sauce made for the tofu, and then it's like, oh, you're you're ready for death again. <laughs> That's a good way to approach life. I think I'm more <laughs> meditating on that. Yeah. yeah, death is is interesting, and you brought up an uh like a really beautiful correlation um, just before we started recording, which was the connection between birth and death and how our feelings and even the way we talk about them and our, our ability to be comfortable in the presence of them are so different, but they're both these beautiful sort of passages into a new form, into a new way of being, uh, I guess, <laughs> in the world, out of the mm-hmm. world. <laughs> yeah. Transitioning. And I feel like it's, you know, what's been really interesting for me in this whole process of, of you know, many small realizations as, as I move through this process of becoming a mother, which I feel like, I don't know if where you are at, you still feel it, but I feel like it's a continuous process of becoming and like each day you wake up and it's like, oh, today I'm letting go of this. So it is kind of like literally you're, you are facing death and birth every day <laughs> with it with a child and without a child as well, if you're aware of it. But, um, I feel like for me, there's been a really big coming to seeing the practice in this completely different way, you know, because all these years I've been learning these asanas and embodying all these different beings and sages and forms. And I've never really paused to think about it as this trajectory of like, you're becoming and you're unbecoming and then you're becoming again and you're unbe- you know, you're constantly becoming and unbecoming for 90 minutes or however long you're practicing for. And you would think that by now, you know, I would be pretty used to that. And it's taken a lot of thinking about it to be like, okay, I've, I've done this on the mat endless times. I can, you know, let's just pretend like I'm still on the mat and I'm doing it. <laughs> Yeah. And then maybe that will be a little easier because I can remember that it's going to end and then I'm going to begin again. And it's going to end again. And it's not this forever thing that's never going to end. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's been really nice to kind of pause. And, and even though I, I don't have so much time to spend on the actual mat doing asanas to kind of think about it and like spend time with it in my head as I make sure my child doesn't fall on his face. And stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, the vinyasa of life, like the constant shifting and moving from one state to the next state, and how can we breathe and transition gracefully from you know pose to pose or place to place, 
or mm-hmm. even just, you know, physical state to physical state, mental state to mental state. It's, it's a really beautiful analogy to take the practice to like that next level of, of how we are every day and everything we do. Yeah, it's such a rich practice. I really, I, I feel like every day I'm just so more, more grateful for, for all it's like, it's so much more than what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It, it's, it's yeah. I feel really grateful. Did you mention um, earlier that you had had a C-section yourself when you had the epidural? No, I had a vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a moment where I was like, this is never going to happen. I'm going to end up having a cesarean birth instead of a vaginal birth. Um, but no, in did the end, do, it came out. Did they do an episiotomy or anything like that? No, it was actually really fun. I, they had told me that I, I was going to feel the pain of, you know, the burning sensation of the, when he would come out. But I was able to use my my strength but not feel anything. And I didn't, I didn't tear. I didn't, like, none, none of that happened. So it was actually really great. And so, but you did have an epidural then? Yes, I did. I, I was very happy to have one. <laughs> <laughs> very happy. <laughs> and so like that moment, it seems like that's the, the first step towards kind of bringing yourself back together and coming and coming back together. I wonder if both of you could, could speak to what that first week looks like. You've got this child in your lap now. It's quite small. And it's your insides have been pulled right outside of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you know, I'd, I'd have to think that that would be incredibly shocking to wonder with maybe some dismay, you know, what, what had, what's been destroyed down there. <laughs> Um, Harmony, do you want to go first or do you want me to say something? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess like for me, the, it was a little bit, I don't know. I, I wasn't so prepared that, um, the bleeding would last so long. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. No one really talked to me about that, that it was just like having a massive period for like weeks (laughs) after you give birth. (laughs) Were you still quite full in your belly? I've heard that, that you stay full in your belly much longer than people think. It's not just like a letting out the balloon and then you're flat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your body has a lot of uh, extra water within mm-hmm. it. I think your blood volume increases like three double. times. Do mm-hmm. you know? I think, double? I think it's double, but I might be wrong. Yeah, it's quite a lot. So you're you're still quite swollen. And, and also, I mean... For me, I put on cool oh, probably forty five pounds. Mm-hmm. So and and Jedi was only uh, five pounds. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> that's uh, forty pounds. that's still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, your body's just so different, and it's it's. I don't know. It takes a lot of time for me. I felt like it took a long time to recover and come back to a place where even I felt like there wasn't a hole in my center anymore. It took about nine months before I felt like, Oh, I have some stomach muscles that I can access and, and connect to, um, consciously now. 
I mean, just like going to the bathroom the first time must have been kind of shocking to like to go and look down and like, what's what's just happened to me? <laughs> a little bit, I think. I don't know. I kind of forget that part. How about you? I think it depends on what kind of you. birth you have. I think I definitely was uh, wondering how, you know, I was pretty scared of how that was going to feel. And, mm-hmm. and in my birth, I was pretty together down there. So it was actually, everything went pretty smoothly. Um, and even just in terms of, you know, like feeling like, you know, I was even thinking like, am I going to be able to sit and all those things. And that part was actually pretty easy in my own recovery. But I feel like, you know, for a lot of women, there is a, a lot of rekindling and even just the time, you know, looking at yourself and, and recognizing, and even just having the courage to look your vagina and to you know to to rekindle your relationship with it and if your partner was part of like catching the baby to process that whole thing there's many there's many like re I don't know what the exact word to describe this would be but kind of like reconnecting and rekindling and like restitching did uh, your partner catch the baby? He did. Actually, we were talking about it last night. I was like, "Do you, so? Did how did how did it? Because I just have this memory of of Indy coming onto my chest, and then mm-hmm. and and I was just trying to kind of reconnect to that memory of of maybe the warmth or the weight or just like think um, sensorial memories that I might still have. And he and I asked him, "Do you remember like how you put him on my body?" And he was like, "Well." I had him facing this way because I actually caught his head. And I was like, you caught his head. He's like, yeah, I pulled him out of you. And I was like, Oh my God. So you got to see the whole thing. He's like, no, I just remember looking at his eyes. And so it's just mm. interesting, you know, that the things that we choose to focus on and the memories that we keep. Um, yeah. And, and then the whole picture of it, you know, cause I'm sure for the midwife or the nurse or whoever else was there, they probably remember different things. It's, it's kind of interesting to, as time passes to revisit, to revisit the memory and to, and to see like what you remember mentally and then the, the actual experience of it through your senses. It is, it is extraordinary that, you know, right now sitting where we are, there's an enormous kaleidoscope, kaleidoscopic amount of information available to us mm-hmm. anywhere. Any person listening to this, any person sitting anywhere can look around and see an enormous field of, of information and and just just in the just in a tree or the surface of a wall or a table there's an enormous amount of information to available us to see in this moment Mm -hmm. and yet if you think back to an hour ago and what you were doing at breakfast it's a blur Mm -hmm. there's almost nothing there except maybe one or two things like Oh yeah, there was a. I, I was looking at the phone, and there was a um, a gigantic riot in the in the capital. And like <laughs> I sort of have a blurry memory of looking at my phone on the toilet. I don't. There's not much information for me to draw from, right? And unless, of course, it's very emotional. And right. often, when it's very emotional, then everything about that picture becomes you know quite uh, seared into memory, like a like a birth experience. Um, but were you, uh, were you flat on your, on your back when you were giving birth? Were you propped up? Were you standing? I was a little propped up. I was, I was pulling on a towel because I wanted mm-hmm. to be squatting. So I was kind of squatting 
but with my pelvis on the on the with the back of my my sacrum like on a bed mm-hmm. but my back was off the bed because i was kind of pulling myself up and pressing into this bar mm-hmm. oh interesting yeah so it was kind of like a recline squatting i, I think that there there might be issues in my pelvis now because of that <laughs> there might be some pains in my current practice that are due to some of the positions and things that happened during the birth were, were you squatting harmony uh it Standing? sounds like i was in a very similar position to bb where i was I, I wanted to be squatting also. Uh, and they said, oh, you have to get on the bed. And I was like, I don't want to get on the bed. And they're like, you have to get on the bed. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I got on the hospital bed, but the um, they had it at like a 45 degree angle. So my, my back was supported. And then I had two people pushing on either side of my feet. Right. Oh. Yeah. Like I was squatting. Yeah. But I was horizontal. Kind of, I mean, forty-five yeah, degrees. Back, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to be. I'm, I'm, I'm desperately trying to find the the book that that talks about this particular experience, and it's a. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase, and I might get the countries wrong, um, but it's a book about a um, a Polynesian family, perhaps Indonesian, perhaps Thai, but Polynesian um, family that uh, came to the United States and and had a way of doing things, uh, a way of giving birth that they, that was traditional for them. And then they tried to do that same birth in the States and it didn't work. Uh, the baby died for whatever reason. And so there was a massive lawsuit that was really at its heart cultural, Mm. even if the death of the child was accidental, Mm. but they both blamed each other, you see. And so the the the, the book starts off um, with a the st- with a story of a traditional Indonesian birth, which is a uh, a young woman alone in a hut. The hut is has a mud floor, but that's quite clean because it's been it's been sanitized with you know burning dung for so many mm. uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of years. And so this is the safest, calmest. Uh, cleanest place that she can give birth. And at the right moment, as she paces around the room, she squats down and then reaches down and, and takes the baby's head from beneath her and pulls the baby out and then begins uh, to rest and, and nurse. Mm-hmm. She tries to have that the story in the, and the, the, the narrative is that a, a similar Indonesian woman tried to have that same experience in a San Francisco hospital and failed. Mm. And so then the lawsuit starts. And I, so I, I've always thought that was fascinating and that there could be a completely different way of having this experience that wasn't medical at all in any way, but in, entirely in tune with the self, which reminded me a lot of the farm and the natural way to give birth. And, and so this idea of, of squatting, being alone, having a, a den was all really interesting to me. And I even asked one of my Ashtanga yoga students, uh, Vicki Steiner, who is an OB, about that. And she said, 
oh man, there's no way I'm going to lie down on the floor and get underneath a girl and pull a baby out. (laughs) And I was like, oh, it's just convenience then. It's a convenience (laughs) issue. I said, well, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. And I wondered if if that, uh, does that resonate with either of the two of you? Well, I think for, for me, it's, you know, I think my experience was, and this is very mirroring to who I am, I think now looking back, was that I wasn't aware of who the self that was going to birth was. And I thought this self would have enjoyed solitude and silence and a dark space and, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that I had read in the in the books that speak about natural birth, which I think are all very valid and great things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the self that I encountered in the birth actually needed, which is funny now thinking about it and talking about it, it's very, maybe I am really Italian. Like I felt like I really needed the people and this and, the, and like noise, not noise, like chaotic noise, but definitely like some sort of external sound of humans that would help me be grounded in the present moment and like light for Um, you to feel safe for me to feel safe but also present because I feel like you know I think I've learned that through this that it's hard for me to well I always knew this about myself actually um it's hard for me to be present here in my body and mm-hmm. so I think being in those conditions that are my, are ideal in, you know, in my mind and for many people that can be at ease in those conditions, I think those are ideal conditions because you do want to have like a very intimate journey with yourself as you're birthing. But, um, yeah, I just feel like I kind of got lost with what I was thinking, but I, I think that it's very, it's, it's a very personal thing. If it's a very personal choice as to what you th- what would be the ideal situation for your birth, and for me that wouldn't have been. Yeah, it's. I think like going into uh, childbirth, you even like if you've taken the birthing classes and and you know they always have you sort of make your ideal you know visualization or scenario. But definitely I, when it comes to to giving birth, nothing goes as planned. So yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't have and I think to there's go of whatever you your ideal, you know, version was. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a little bit of a danger in that because you know it's I think it's important to have an idea of what you want, you know, but I think it's there's a fine line between having an idea and then holding on to that idea as if it's like your last chance to, Mm -hmm. to like get things right. And if you lose that idea, then there's the aftermath of that, of having to deal with the, you know, with, with the, the grief of not having, not having what you idealized. The disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. The disappointment. And also I feel like for me, I went in thinking that I would be so upset if I didn't have a natural birth. And honestly, I was so happy with the way my birth went and I was, I feel like I was very good at letting go of it all and just being in the moment in that sense. But for me, it was very, I I didn't think past the birth really. I didn't plan on how, you know, how it would be to 
to have birth during COVID and what it would mean to have a baby when you come home and being alone. And I, I didn't really think about what it would, what my body would feel like after birth and what it would feel like to, to come to practice after birth. Whereas I had done all this preparation prior. Like I had like gone, like go my practice. I had changed it up once I came back to it. Like there was all this uh, surrendering happening, leading up to the birth. And then there was this big, like, I just didn't think about the whole other part. And Mm -hmm. so there's definitely been a lot of grieving and a lot of like having to let go of the ideas that I had um, after I gave birth. And so I think that it's, you know, as a doula, I have this one client that I'm working with now and I'm a little bit sensitive about, having a plan, you know, and like, how do you work with someone to make a plan? Cause you know, we come from a tradition of yoga that there is a structure, but then I feel like for so many years as a teacher, I was ignorantly, you know, it was I, ignorantly, but also I have to go through that. Right. Because we learn by doing so, but I was so, I was holding on to that idea of the structure so rigidly and, and blinded by that many times. And, and, and then you begin to, the more comfortable you get with that, the more you begin to see like, oh, well, the structure has a, has a place and time, but then I need to let go of that and exist within that structure and allow that structure to kind of fluidly evolve and, and change and grow with me. Otherwise, it's going to keep me stuck where I began. And so I think that with, with preparing for birth and having a plan, it's kind of the same idea. Like you want to have this loose kind of roadmap with like key points in it, but those key points should be about letting go and allowing (laughs) instead of it being like, I must not have this and I must not do this. You know, it's like, it's a little, it's a little little sensitive for me, that area. Yeah. You know, that's super interesting that you brought up these deep cultural issues that, that you were sort of faced with in, in, in the midst of, of this experience that's incredibly physical and intimate. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. I, I want to talk more about your, your very personal experience with trying to um, mediate being a, a strong, independent Italian woman with suddenly having to sacrifice everything that you thought you knew about yourself and, and be uh, a mother. And I want to talk about that experience of it. What we're talking about is how can we draw on our practice in moments where we feel completely threatened and our own identity is a threat and who we think of ourselves is a threat because we have this new identity. We have a child that needs to be cared for. And how do we, how do we use our practice to, to mediate the situation? and 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 rebuild and figure out what we're going to do i think that kind of <laughs> comes to the heart of of the issue in a sense is before you have a child your practice is often used as a way of sort of purifying yourself as sort of a vehicle to get you somewhere um you're using it maybe for uh, fitness or enlightenment or, um, you know, there's, it's a means to another end. And that end is something that's, um, 
transcending your current state in Mm -hmm. some way. Mm -hmm. And I think after having a child, then for me, the shift that really had to happen was that the practice wasn't about that anymore. Um, It was much more about how is this nourishing me? How am I getting energy from this? How is this adding value to my life? Um, You know, it was definitely a much more inward shift of focus rather than an external shift of focus. Um, Was, did you have a similar experience, Bibi? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think that there is this need for a, for like a coming home to yourself. That's kind of how I experience it still. Um, you know, when everything is kind of moving outwards and, and it's just continuously happening around you and it's chaotic, like not only is chaotic to like navigate things that you don't know and trying to figure out as you go, but also your space becomes chaotic because it's no longer just you, but there's this other being that's constantly pulling it apart and like making it its own space. And so it's like, it's, it's a lot of holding, I feel like, and, and placing and, you know, structuring for another. And, and so I feel like, yes, definitely practice for me has shifted into a place where, um, and it's still shifting. Like I still haven't fully made peace with it needing to be that way. And I think that's also why I had reached out to you, um, to have this conversation because I felt like, you know, there was a, some, there was a a good amount of resistance. Like there was an accepting that there needed to be a change or there needs to be a change in the way that I experience and see practice, but there wasn't yet a, like an, uh, an ex- a full acceptance of allowing it to happen. Um, and so I think that, yes, absolutely. There's this, there's this pull towards, I need a place where I can feel nourished and grounded. And like, there is the, yeah, there is, uh, organization and and softness and calmness yeah but the struggle is real for sure I I remember having like a strong inner battle with myself and and that friction that fight often of you know wanting things to be the way they were or wanting Mm -hmm. things to be different um you know wanting to have an hour and a half to practice or two hours, or even an hour, Um, (laughs) you know, wanting to be able to do a full practice when all I seemed to ever be able to do was standing. And like, it's a real desire. It's a real yearning because, you know, you know how that feels. You're familiar with that feeling when you're able to have that nice practice space and time and feeling in yourself but it just seems absolutely unattainable when, especially when you have a small child, it it's, seems completely elusive and, and there's a big struggle. And I think the, the thing that becomes sort of very much in your awareness is how do I be with this struggle and sit with this friction or this pull in, in two directions? Because also your heart is very much pulled to your baby, to your child. And you don't want to have resentment 
in your situation. And, and so it's an interesting balancing act that happens because on the one hand, you kind of resent the practice for making you want to do it. And on the other hand, you're kind of resentful of your, your new baby because you can't do the practice and you don't want either of those things to be the case. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And I think also there is, you know, to the point, I think, um, Russell, you were saying something about like, um, I don't know exactly the words that you were mentioning, but I, while you were speaking, I remember thinking like, um, not so much my cultural roots, but feeling like, I feel like I'm, I'm going to speak of cultural roots as like the culture that I've created for myself living here. And I think this has a big part of, um, you know, like the social media image that you create and the family that you create around yourself, uh, with the yoga, there's like all these things that are intertwined with practice and with how you used to practice and how you used to be without that within that community and who you used to portray yourself with or who you're known for. And all of a sudden you, you go through this birthing and you have a baby and you're this new person. And not only do you not have the same time to devote to your practice, but who are you without that practice? Like who, what is the mental content (laughs) within, you know, like what is the noise in your mind? And like, what is, what is your emotional state when you don't have that grounding? And then who are you without that in the world? You know, like, and and especially during this time of of COVID where like your world is very limited to like online and Mm. you're no longer able to, to share what you used to share because that's no longer you. So it's like all these, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it's kind of like, Mm. it's just so many different pieces of identity that are, that you've collected and, all of a sudden they're all kind of shattered and you're left at your pure state, but you're so it's like a new it's it's, I mean, I guess your pure state is always there, but you might not have gotten into contact with it in this kind of um, you might've gotten into contact with it by purposefully placing yourself in a situation where you're, fully zen and you're in touch with it because the the external conditions are perfect for you to be in touch with it but this is like all of a sudden ta-da there you are and you know you don't have all these tools that you've had before so it's it's a really big identity crisis I I agree and I I think I'm going to add one more thing like it's the identity crisis but also it's like how do you deal and I'm asking this like I want to hear what both of you have to say about it because it's like how do you deal because I think a lot of people feel this like how do you shed that need for external um not gratification but um like validation or validation yes exactly validation of like this is me and how how can how is that enough you know like how I think we all need to make that shift of knowing that we don't need the external validation to feel okay. And it's okay that your practice doesn't feel or look a certain way. Like I feel this deep need to move beyond that. Um, And I think that, yeah, I I don't even know anymore what my question is, but (laughs) I want to hear your side of it. 
I, there's a couple of, of metaphors that I'm, I want to kind of put out there. Um, the one uh, aphorism uh, is a Japanese aphorism, which is the suit makes the man. Mm. And, yeah. and so there's this piece that you're speaking to about identity being wrapped up in the, in what suit do you wear to work and how does that change your posture, your face, uh, your gestures, your speech? And you see that all the time in like the Stanford prison experiment where, you know, how you, um, how you're dressed will change how you interact with other people and how you feel about yourself. And those feelings are illusory. They're impermanent. Uh, and yet we have them. And so, you know, for, for men that are retired who no longer wear a suit and they sit at home in their easy chair and they watch TV, they're really infantilized suddenly. Mm-hmm. They've gone from being the most powerful people in the, in the world, uh, if they're a middle-aged white man, to <laughs> then just being another child to be cared for in a crib. Mm-hmm. And so there's an enormous you know, transfer of, of um, self-worth. And like a stripping away of identity. Stripping away of of identity and self worth. And yet, here's this other phrase uh, the two of of three. Um, You can take the boy out of the country, (laughs) but you can't take the country out of the boy. Right. And so there's also, you know, what remains is well, it's the same person that was in the suit is now in the chair. Right. You know, they, and they have this, the same kind of, um, they have the same material that they have to deal with just to have a conversation with someone else. You know, I often feel like when I'm speaking to someone else, I have to kind of speak through my own layers of self to try and, um, I have to kind of wade through my own personality to get my point across. Mm-hmm. which my personality is in the way of the sentiment. And it reminded me of this third metaphor, the giving tree, which is a, um, a beautiful children's book mm. uh, by Shel, Silver, Shel Silverstein. Titles. It's a book about a, a young boy whose best friend is a tree and the tree and the boy play together. And then the boy needs something. So the, the, he needs um, material in some kind. So the tree gives him all of his leaves and he uses all of the leaves to build something uh, or do something. Oh, I remember to play in, to jump off, to jump out of the tree and play in the leaves. And then the boy needs some other kind of material uh, to say to, to, to um, start a fire. And so the tree gives him all of the, branches the, the branches mm. and the boy goes and starts to fire and he's older now he's a young man and then later he comes back to the tree and he says i really need this trunk I need, I need to, to make f- a boat or a I house need to make or a something. boat or a house and i really need this and the tree's like well i just really just want to play with you and i want to be with you but i'll give you my trunk mm. and the the man goes off with the trunk and he builds a house and then later he comes back to the giving tree and um, he says, well, what else can I give you? And it's like, I really just need, I'm old now. I really just need a place to sit down. And the tree gives him that. Mm. And it's incredible because 
it goes to the heart of what is it that you are? Are you any of these things, the flesh, the, the, the mind, the mind, your sexuality, your lustrous hair, you know, what is left is the spirit in which you, you had all of these things in the first place. And if your spirit was giving, that's all that's left to you is giving. And the end, it's, you know, the, all that's left of all these things, after they've all been, all these things that you've attached your identity to, all these things you've attached your sense of self-worth to, that are all now becoming swiftly garbage to be thrown out, you know, like my waistline, <laughs> is rubbish, right? And so, those, once, you ha- once you no longer have the things that you tied your identity to, all you have left is the observer right. that witnessed these things in the first place. And I witnessed having a nice, having, you know, a, a, a ripped six-pack in my 20s. And, I, and some part of me said to myself, well, that's me. <laughs> you know, but all I was doing was witnessing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that's the the interesting thing about a child is like you're really giving up a, a major piece of yourself to that child, and then what's left was the spirit of giving in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I yeah. think I, I love that you bring this up. That I need to get this book, but um, I love I love this because I feel like. You know, it's it's almost easy to some extent to give because you love this child so much, right? But then mm-hmm. the moment you and conceptually it's also like you know you're the observer, you know that you're not this or that, you're just this vessel that and and there's a certain I feel like when you have a child there's a certain will more of a willingness to let go of all of that because you kind of you become so in in entwined with this other human or like taken by this other human. But I, I love this idea that, um, that it's always there. It's, it's just always there. The tree is no matter how much it's giving, it's just always there. And I feel like that's a good reminder as you move through this motherhood process and this, and you know, the, the changing of relationship to the practice and to what you were and who you are. And, and just knowing that it's almost, I, I had this vision of the stump of the tree and the roots. That's just, it's there. It's never, mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere. It's, it's there. And so I feel like at the end of the day, it's, it's really good to remember that no matter how much you exert yourself or how much you've lost your identity and how scary that might be, there's, we need to be brave enough to, to remember and to, and to be comfortable with knowing that we are beyond this form and this image and that we're always there. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, relating this process of transformation, I think one of the true, true gifts of, you know, becoming a mother having a child, going through um, all of the different stages and transformations of motherhood, because they're, they're continuously unfolding, um, is that it really does, in a way, start to prepare you for, you know, the ultimate shedding of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, because at some point, you're going to be old, <laughs> and you're not going to be doing 
the practice, you know, you're not going to be doing scorpion and posting it on Instagram. No, you know, you're not going to be doing, um, you know, arm balances and getting a lot of loves for them or whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're, you're, the desire is going to, you know, start to dissipate, but also physically, emotionally, energetically, you're not going to sustain the practice in the way that you can when you're 20 or 30. And this whole sort of process of transformation allows you to kind of have a little bit of a preview Mm -hmm. (laughs) and experience this peeling of the layers, this letting go, this shedding. And, and it's not permanent either, you know, because you, you do get a lot of it back as well, you know, as these, these periods of motherhood shift and change, you know, there, there are then times where you can devote more energy to your practice and you, you know, you have that drive again for, you know, whatever it is, spiritual practice or asana, or, you know, you have more energy and time and, and emotional space to commit to it. It might not happen for five years or seven years <laughs> or you know, 15 years, but, but it's, it reminds us how, uh, impermanent everything is and how temporary everything is. And even just watching your baby grow and change. I mean, that's the biggest reminder of how impermanent and temporary everything is and how quickly time is moving. And so I feel like it's such a gift because you really get to the heart of what the practice is trying to teach us. And it's there in front of you every day. You're coming face to face with it, whether you're doing you know, asana, padmasana, headstand, anything, you know, it doesn't matter because every day you wake up and you're looking into the face of, of life shifting and changing and growing right before you and, and coming to the heart of impermanence because it's not lasting. There's no way you can bottle up that moment with your, (laughs) your baby and keep it. (laughs) And so it's, it's such a deep practice. I think motherhood But maybe one of the most difficult things or challenging things is like letting go of that guilt, the Ashtangi guilt, I think, of feeling like, oh, I'm not worthy if I don't do my full practice or I'm not really practicing if I'm not doing half primary or full primary or advanced A or whatever, you know, Oh, I didn't do the headstand today. So my practice doesn't count or whatever it is that we have like in our head that validates us as an Ashtanga yoga practitioner. I think, uh, you know, somehow, getting rid of that guilt and realizing that Ashtanga yoga is the eight limbs and looking at, at it more holistically, like, did I breathe? Did I take time to focus on my breath? You know, was I non-harmful to myself and others? (laughs) You know, was I honest? Did I do my best? Like all of those things, right? Yeah. I love that you bring that up of, of the essence because I feel like, you know, it's very easy to forget why, like, what is this practice really about? And I think that both pregnancy, child, pregnancy, childbirth and, and motherhood are this opportunities to, to see that, to see the impermanence of life and the impermanence of, of identity and, and the accepting of that and the continuing to like doubt yourself and, 
um, and sit with the discomfort of the continuous change and, um, and the unknown, I feel like that really, it's really liberating. It's, it, it really allows you to see that what, what this practice is really about and, and to be able to see yourself in action as you accept and let go. That's, I feel like that is the essence of practice. That is like being able to, to be with whatever it is and to be present for it, no matter how uncomfortable or how comfortable or how, you know, whatever, um, to be able to sit with it. And I feel like that's the ultimate, or at least my, my current understanding of it is that that's the ultimate liberation to be able to. And I think there's a sutra that speaks of that, of like not being pulled by the cold or the hot or like the opposite extremes. Um, but just to like really sit in the center of it and, and not be, pushed to one side or the other by it. And I feel like that is really, that is really the essence of the practice. And so it's, it's so nice to be able to feel that inaction as, as a mother mm-hmm. and to, you know, and to be able to reach out to another mother and be like, what is this all about? <laughs> there, yeah, there's a, a sutra speaking to Raghadavesha, not being pulled to our likes and dislikes. But right. Also um, the, the Bhagavad Gita speaks to the yogi, um, fear is neither hot nor cold. Right. I think that um, that there was something really, really beautiful about that that piece when you said essence, because that's it speaks to like what what was the essence of the tree, and that was the, you know the, we we discussed that it was the spirit of giving. You know what is the what is it though? What is the treeness of the tree? Just as what is the BB-ness of BB? And if you strip everything away from her, you know, her um, her beauty and her hair and even her child and her yoga practice, what is BB? You know, what is left there? Is it Beatrice? I, I don't know. But um, there's, that is Krishna, right? That's what we, we talk about, the, the, the BB-ness of BB. If you get right to and to the, the, the final layer it's Krishna, it's, it's love staring back at Bibi. Mm. And this is what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about realizing this. And yet, here we are, still youngish. And in the, we're still on the battlefield of, of labor and mm. work. There's more work yet to be done. We're on the Dharmakshetra and the Kurukshetra of of life, where we are we are having to maintain ourselves and our family and our community while seeking moksha. Mm. And so we have to do something. And so we have to do a little bit of work. In fact, quite a lot. <laughs> And so our yoga practice is teaching us how to be efficient and beautiful and to pursue the ultimate art of work and to be as, as, um, as non-attached as non-attached and yet still working and still pushing a little bit, still creating a little bit of heat so that we can actually ultimately work towards perfection while uh, paradoxically understanding that we're perfect. I think the, uh, the other sutra is referring to when the state of asana 
when you have the balance of the stira and the sukha, the steadiness and the ease, then you can uh, subdue the restlessness or the agitation and allow the mind to focus on the infinite. Yes. And then tato dwan dwana bigataha, then you transcend the poles of the dualities, all dualities. Um, and I think exactly what you described in the Gita wrestle is, is that sutra also, those three sutras actually, about, you know, allowing the mind to be absorbed into the infinite or into that vibration of love, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sitting in that steady state, as you mentioned, Bibi, and then rising above our desires, our aversions, our, you know, what we, we wish, <laughs> what's our, reality, our grief. <laughs> our grief, our joy. But also connecting to that impermanence um, is beautiful, too, because then you can also just really relish in each thing, because even the things that are kind of annoying, right? Like, I mean, we're in a Lego wonderland right now, and Mm. I really, Lego drives me insane. Mm. Um, But also when I look at the Lego (laughs) and I realize how impermanent this stage is this period period, i can i can relish in it i can enjoy it i can love it i can be with it and just accept it for all that it is because i know probably in five years from now i'm gonna really miss the lego right you know (laughs) i'm gonna miss this stage because it's it's leaving it's transient it's not permanent boyhood boyhood we'll think back on is quite sweet as he tears apart our house with his you know (laughs) punk rock punk rock or he'll bring a boy band into the house which would be even worse you know It'll be awful, but they're like, oh, you remember the Lego? That was yeah. Nice. He was so nice when it was just Lego. <laughs> yeah, we moved when we moved into the house. He couldn't even put Lego together himself, and now he's, you know, he can spend hours putting it together. That's an incredible achievement. And uh, now he's just working on his hip hop moves, and it's just sort of <laughs> it's really bleak. But at every stage of motherhood's a bit like that, and I, I feel that sometimes, like as a yoga practitioner, especially if you had a really strong practice before becoming pregnant, and then you know you give birth, and and sometimes I think you can get lost in thinking that your practice is so important when really, like, just honestly relishing each moment yeah. with this being is to me like the yoga it's the most important thing it's so much more important than you know shirshasana <laughs> or padmasana or any any of right. it you know it's just like relishing each and every stage because it's so fleeting it's so temporary and it's gone before you even blink your eyes and right. shirshasana is always there it's it's like a steady state thing it doesn't change <laughs> And lots of people don't start practicing asana until they're in their like 50s or 60s. And as a mother, that that period of time is so short. It's so brief. And to get confused about, about what's truly important, you know, and taking time, obviously, for yourself is very important. Self-care is very important so that you have energy to invest in that ability to reflect and be with yourself and be with your child and be with your family, your spouse, your partner. Um, Yeah. I think, I think to add on top of that, I think that we need to be very aware um, of 
you know, where the ego is exerting itself in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, whenever, cause I've definitely had moments and I know that other women have asked this, um, moments of just really being in awe of your child and really being like, this is all I really need to be doing right now. And then there's that other little voice inside that's like, oh, but you should be doing this. And you're losing each moment that you're not doing this. You're losing that part of yourself. And so I feel like there needs to be a recognition of like that part is there and it will most likely always be there in some way or form, but I can choose to move away from that and like redirect it and bring it back and, and be with, you know, what you're saying of being here for this moment, because it's not going to be anymore once it passes. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want to look back and, and regret just because you were too stuck in listening to that little voice that is, you know, is, is holding on to a past and not allowing you to be in the present. And yeah. that's like, that's the each moment that you're taking, that you're taking care of your child and playing with your child, but you're not documenting the care for your child and the moments that you had with the child. These are wasted moments, right? <laughs> so if you don't spend time documenting and uploading to Instagram, oh, the, photos. Uh, exactly. the, the experience that you're having with a child, did the experience of being with your child actually happen? <laughs> I know that's a really good question. (laughs) Really awkward, isn't it? Like we really need to document this moment. But like we should actually be experiencing it. I know. Well, Jediah, he, you know, he doesn't really practice yoga so much. He hasn't really shown an interest in it. But um, the last couple mornings, he's gotten up and done some sun salutations with me. And so yesterday I was thinking, oh, I should... I should document make a this. yeah, I should document this. <laughs> I should make some kind of little video or something. And then I was like, oh, let's just be here in this moment. I don't want to ruin it. Mm-hmm. Good for you. See, that's 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 what needs to happen more and more. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like that even with practice, you know, so many people are doing videos and different things of their practice, and it's it's cool, it's fine, but like you know, to always have that constant pressure of like, oh, I need to document this so that I can get you know, people know that I'm practicing or, you know, I get some kind of recognition for my efforts Mm -hmm. or even just like, you know, I, it's an opportunity to entertain, I guess. Um, you know, it kind of ruins the essence of the thing to always have this attachment to, uh, your identity to it or to have the pressure to document, as you Mm -hmm. say, (laughs) what's happening in every moment of your life. Yeah, I think this is a really like important, sorry, Russell, um, topic, because I feel like there's a a lot of, um, you know, on Instagram, you can get a lot of inspiration, but then also you can have the sense of like, I'm not doing enough, or why is my life not resembling this? Or why is my, you know, there's a lot of comparison and outward energy going. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, I love that you bring this up because it's so important to refrain from that and to, and to have a private life and to not feel the need to constantly be um, putting yourself out there in order to know that you you're doing, you know, things are happening to you in your life. And it's uh, I think we've gone. So, and I say this because I, for me, it's been a, a a real questioning, uh, current questioning of like how, important is it especially if you're making a living 
through this as well to, you know, to keep your moments private and to share in a way that is really is inspiring, but that might require a little bit more engagement, like reading. And I've taken that to observe what I do with, in my relationship with, in, with, I'm just talking about Instagram because that happens to be the social, the most, the easiest social media thing. But, um, am I actually just looking at things or am I actually taking the time to read things? And I think it's important that we begin to make a shift into like the richness of context because I don't think within the Ashtanga community, we're supporting each other um, to continue to to go inwards and, and in depth and, and to grow um, by just sticking to the visual. You know, that there it of course it's beautiful and there's a there's a place and time for that, like there is for everything. Um, but I think it, it's important that we also um, like uh, what's the word? inspire each other to to give real content you know that is beyond um sharing our lives constantly through video or stories or whatever it's it must be incredibly anxious making and frustrating being a mom and having this earth-shattering experience and having this being that you care for and at the same time also um be, be constantly vulnerable to attack uh, from, you know, uh, uh, process shaming influencers, <laughs> and you know, you're you're trying to just do this thing, and that, you know, you're you you seek affirmation, and then, you know, and then it's the same old story. Like you could just be on a farm somewhere with no social media at all. And people are telling you that you're doing this thing wrong. It must be so constant that people are telling you you're doing this thing wrong. <laughs> I think, I think there's more awareness to this now a little bit. Yeah. I, I think, think it's beginning are, to happen. Yeah. Yeah. People are more attuned to not like, you know, constantly, um, mom shaming, mom shaming, but definitely, I mean, I remember I had a few situations, especially as a young mother, you know, it's always, you get a lot of older ladies that come up to you and, and give you advice unsolicited. <laughs> Well-meaning, well I'm sure. <laughs> and then you have a few that are very generous of spirit and beautiful and really like aware and self-aware and, you know, but it is a bit of a mixed bag and, you are pretty vulnerable, I think, as a young mother to, um, you know, having to ha- be new at something. And it's a very public newness. Mm-hmm. And then you're publicizing <laughs> right. that. Right. And you're publicizing the act. And then everyone can see the mom shaming happening to you. <laughs> and it's recorded there in the comments. And it's, um, it's horrific. But one nice thing about the social media aspect of of you know being a new mom or or a mom at all and you know now when because I used to post a lot of Facebook and Instagram photos of Jedi when he was a baby and now you get those um you know 10 years ago today (laughs) 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 beautiful photos of you know your child 10 years later and and it's so sweet and I mean everything's so digitized now. I don't look back on photos really. I don't, you know, see, have yeah, baby. Pi- yeah. I don't have baby pictures of him printed really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a nice, it's one of the upsides, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Maybe but just I think, to, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, please go ahead. Uh, I just was going to say that I think it's, you know, just like practice is a process. Um, and, you know, just like whenever you're a beginner coming into a, a Mysore room, you're like constantly being pulled in all directions, looking at all that everyone's doing around you. And there's a sense of excitement and inadequacy and like wanting to get it done and know about it and like be past this uncomfortable situation of not knowing. Um, and I feel like this too is a process and that it's the beauty of it is to be in the process. It's not to have it figured out or, you know, um, to, yeah, it's really about being in it and understanding that every part of it, every phase, it's a process and there's no controlling it. There's no, you know, there's just going with it and, and being cultivating enough steadiness in your life and nourishing, uh, foundations that you can will allow you to be present for it mm-hmm. that's kind of what this conversation has made me kind of really think about mm-hmm. well I'd, i think i'd like to try and tie you know uh tie a bow to this conversation i wonder <laughs> Bibi, if um you mean we can't talk forever about this oh, i'm sure we how <laughs> <laughs> about you wrap a bow what do you do yeah, yeah wrap a bow tie a bow Let's tie a bow. I don't, it doesn't sound right. Place a bow. Um, <laughs> let's um, put a, I'll, put a ribbon on it. Put a ribbon on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Let's put a um, ribbon on it. So you're established in your yoga practice. The practice lives through us. You have said, mm-hmm. how is it now that you find energy? What can you give to our listeners, ladies to, to, to teach how to find energy for practice? Is it even necessary? Uh, I think that's such a great question. Um, especially as a, as a new mother, you really, I mean, actually, let me rephrase as a mother at any stage. Of <laughs> I know I still feel like I'm a new mother to be honest. Um, the, the, it's a little different looking, but it's still similar problems and issues come up, you know, time and sleep and, uh, having more things to do than there's time in the day. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think watching the energy and responding to your energy is really important. Um, I think, that letting go of your expectations for yourself in regards to the practice is truly helpful and realizing that sometimes sun salutations are enough and like learning how to make sun salutations enough, because Mm -hmm. I think it's something you have to actually kind of embrace and Mm -hmm. figure out how can I make just this, you know, 10 minutes my yoga practice and how can I let it nourish me and center me and focus me for everything I have to do today. And that's a skill that's going to be helpful for the rest of your life. If you can figure out how to do just that is like, how can I get the most yoga benefits or effects out of the minimum amount of effort Mm -hmm. um, or the the minimum amount of practice? Yeah. And then, um, also giving yourself permission to take rest. I think that's really important also. You know, if you're not feeling um, the desire 
or the urge to practice, if you feel like just being with your, your baby and sleeping in and cuddling or, you know, um, you really don't want to get yourself out of bed and onto the mat, especially at this early stage in your, in your, you know, motherhood. Um, I think giving yourself permission to rest and maybe, you know, making a, a deal with yourself to do a little bit later. I think it's really important. Like deal not with the devil. <laughs> <laughs> not being so restrictive um, on when you're practicing and how and not being so rigid regarding your perception of what are rules. Um, but allowing there to be flexibility in your day and in your life. I think if you want to survive um, motherhood as an Ashtanga yoga practitioner, those are like the key things is, you know, give yourself permission to rest, give yourself permission to just sit and meditate for five minutes one day. Um, You know, it doesn't always have to be an hour. If you have the desire, then that's wonderful. You know, try to try to, to do as much as you can, but also let go of the guilt if you don't do what you had hoped for, right? Like allow whatever is to be and accept that as your present moment and find contentment within that. Mm. Yeah, I've found that for me, the the, the key things have been really develop, really working on my listening skills and really, you know, making that deal, but making that deal to, with myself of whatever it is that I'm, I hear within myself to really listen to it and, and do it. Um, and, but that being said, I've also had to kind of reestablish some sort of ritual or routine in my life because I felt like I had gone a little too the off the other direction of just allowing the day to go as it needed and then carving out little spaces for myself. And I felt like that was beginning to kind of, burn the candle a little too much so Mm. you know for me it's been really key to to listen to that and to make space at least three or four times a week where you know there I I wake up I feed him I set him up for the morning and then I take an hour for myself where I'm like I've actually started joining Barbara and Kristen from the Shala where I used to teach um, in their online misers as a way to kind of like root my attention and be like, okay, there's someone externally watching me. And that has really been helpful in, you know, I think as a, I can't speak of, you know, as a new mother, it's hard to, to stop thinking about your child and who, who he's with and like what he's doing and he's going to be okay. So it's been really nice to have that external grounding of my energy and to really, you know, even if it's a short practice to really practice like looking at my nose or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like reworking the details in to root my attention um, because that, that's been very hard for me. And I feel like when I don't do that, then, you know, the mind starts to spiral in all directions and then I'm not useful to anyone in my household. Um, so for me, yeah, listening, deep listening and ritual or routine of some sort. And then I've, you know, the, this came up in the, in the questions that we had asked people to, to send to us, um, you know, how to integrate meditation. And that was another thing that I've started to work on. And it's, I've worked up, you know, one minute, uh, adding on one minute, 
extra each night. And I do it at night because that's just the time that I have for myself, you know, and, and I think it's important to like kind of identify when can you, can you trickle in moments for yourself and to have that communion with that self that we've kind of, um, dismantled as we've been speaking and, and like sit with that. And I think that's, you know, that's also really nice to just have, like, even if it's just four minutes of just like sitting with self, that is not mother, that is not teacher, that is not practitioner. That is just like the Krishna. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that, that those have been, um, and the fire that you speak about Russell, like that, that tapas of, it's not so much in the practice in the form of heat, but in the, in the heat of like really concentrating, even if it's just for like 10 minutes of the practice, um, that's been really helpful. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, those are amazing points because, um, it's so nice, even if it's just like once a week, if you can arrange to have, you know, somebody take care of your baby or your small child, and you can go to a class or attend a class online and just really focus on yourself. I remember feeling, I mean, at first that was so such a strange feeling, not having like mm-hmm. another being mm-hmm. attached to you. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a, I have a body that's my own that isn't. <laughs> You're a single lady. I'm a single lady. <laughs> right? It's and just to be able to use your attention to really go in and and do that. So I think that's really an important point that you make there, BB, is to to take that time and to carve it out, whatever you can manage and yeah, whatever form or shape it has, just mm-hmm. yeah, it's important to to do you. Yeah, I've I've taken to really appreciating the snow days because then I can mm. go out and shovel and get a sweat up and feel like oh, oh I've yeah. really done something today. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bibi, I want to I want to thank you for bringing this topic to us. It's really always wonderful to speak with you. And I just, I do hope that you can continue to find the, the Krishna-ness of Bibi and uh, to continue working and, and, and uh, observing so that we can hear more about um, what you're thinking about as, in this process as it involves for you. Thank you so Are you, much. You're teaching some online uh, prenatal classes? Yeah, I, I do an, an Ashtanga prenatal class on Tuesday mornings at 9 on Zoom. And then I started this uh, mama circle on Fridays at 4.30. Um, and it's for mamas-to-be and mamas that want to join and just feel like there's a place where you can share your story. And we set, like, intentions for the week. And we kind of, like, hold each other accountable for things that we want to, you know, do for ourselves. And and then we usually do – there's a topic uh, – morning and anger were like a big thing to begin with so we kind of move through it and things come up and it's been really nice because there's women that are all over the place and they we all share the same sentiment so it's really nice to not feel there's, to feel like we're in it together i bet there's epic conflicts between the mamas and the mamas to be no. <laughs> epic narrative mahabharata conflicts. <laughs> You clash in the middle of the floor, pick up your foam rollers and tack each other with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one, one thing, just to sum up, I want to just say one more thing. <laughs> you know, something that I, I found really 
interesting, um, you know, just like meeting different moms and also knowing family members of mine that are moms and, and becoming a mother and, you know, every, every way that people do things is as a mother, especially is such a reflection of who you are and what comes natural to you and your own Mm. personality and your own way of being in the world. And, and, it's just, it's looks different for different people. And I think realizing that what works for one person isn't going to work for another person and, and allowing the uniqueness that is you to be that guide. And I think that really taps into what you were saying about listening, learning to listen really deeply to yourself, BB, and, and making that a primary practice even in your day Mm -hmm. is, you know, connecting to like, what do I need now? And, you know, what's right in this moment and, and really like allowing your own inner self to speak up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Bibi. Tell us again, where's, where can people find you? What's your website? It's bblorenzetti.com. And now I have a new site as well for my dueling, which is birthwithbb.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It's always so lovely to speak to you. Me too. Lots of love. Lots of love. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a heart.